All right. Welcome back, D&D fam. We are glad to have you here. Uh, we have an exciting uh, topic of our Diva Docket today. We're talking about protecting your business. Mm-hmm. What's in a name? What's in a name? Um, Apparently a whole lot if you <laughs> don't protect your things. Right. Um, I think there's a, there's a movie about that, right? The McDonald's, that whole fiasco. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so we're, music has been done that way, too. So, yes. Yeah. So we are getting into intellectual property. You know, we talked about passion into purpose mm-hmm. and those who want to be a little more entrepreneurial. So we wanted to get into protecting your things. Um, but before that wanted to let you know quick and i will be hosting the black wealth summit it takes place in greenville south carolina mm-hmm. first um, there, weekend of in yes, october october 1st and 2nd yes. um there is a virtual component for those who don't feel as comfortable um so you can sign up virtually and attend sessions or live um mm-hmm. both of those tickets are available on our website at a discounted rate so you don't need a d- discount code you could just go and get the discount right. um to directly to our website divas and um again there's going to be breakout sessions there's going to be various replays I think the virtual aspect has a virtual DJ Mm -hmm. so it's going to be a lot of fun Um, tons of just interesting topics on the money literally so yeah and I I also like to say that the you know for the golf fanatics out there there Mm -hmm. will be a golf tournament as well um, for those people that are coming in person. And like you said, if you're doing the virtual week, you'll get to see our faces, right? Yeah. As a co-host. So we're super, super excited about this opportunity to talk ducats and finances. So, yeah, for sure, go to our – You can if you're on Instagram or Facebook, you can go to our links, and mm-hmm. it'll have a direct link to where you can go to purchase the tickets directly. All right. So let's get into let's it. Let's get into it. Who Today we have – I like to say our attorney. She did our trademarks personally. Miss Paula Yos. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Tell them a little bit about yourself. Hello, divas. So my name is Paula Yost. Um, I am an intellectual property attorney, and so I have a law office in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so with that, um, being in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, are you only licensed to practice in North Carolina, or how does that work with the... Well, I actually have three law licenses. So okay. I have one license to practice in North Carolina. I mm-hmm. have one license to practice in the state of Georgia. Okay. And then I passed the United States Patent and Trademark exam. So I'm also a federally registered United States Patent and Trademark attorney. Okay. And that allows you to practice where? So with that license, as long as your goal is to bring a matter before the United States Patent and Trademark Office, I can represent you no matter where in the world you are. Mm, okay. So I have clients who are international. I also have clients in, I think, 37 states by my last count. So I'm not limited to a state line as Mm -hmm. long as your goal is that you need a federal matter, like a federal trademark, a federal patent, or a copyright. Yeah. Okay. I, what I heard her say was like, I'm not limited like the normal attorney. <laughs> right. <laughs> I take it a step further. Right. <laughs> North Carolina, Georgia. Barred everywhere. Right. <laughs> That's really cool. But I know it, it, it takes a lot of work, right? Like, how, mm-hmm. how did you know you wanted to become a patent attorney? Or what is what is it required? I absolutely did not know that I, I wanted to do this at all. So I was a senior at Virginia Tech when 9-11 happened. Oh, wow. And I had a really good mentor there. I was working in a lab, 
and I told my boss, like, I have no idea what I want to do. <laughs> there are no jobs. Mm-hmm. Like, I just really don't know. And so I was completing that year. I was completing a BS in microbiology with a minor in chemistry. But I also had an English degree that I got basically just because it was easy and I liked it. Oh, like, I didn't, smart, smart. I didn't have to work right. hard to do this. <laughs> and so my mentor or my boss at the time was like, well, you just need to go to law school. You can become a patent attorney. I didn't know what a patent was. I'd never heard of it before. <laughs> I was like, what's that? Mm-hmm. But it turned out to be really good, like, life-changing advice. Mm-hmm. And so I took the LSAT, I mean, maybe three weeks later. Mm-hmm. And then I went to law school the following August after I graduated. That is so cool. And I know, right. Like, we've talked about it on other episodes before, but it's definitely, like, a good mentor can just, like, mm-hmm. shift the trajectory, you know, They're of so your important. life. And then... With the patent attorney, does she know your majors? Like, is there a requirement for you to have a certain major? Yes. So you can't sit for the United States patent exam unless you have a four-year degree in a pure science, engineering, or math. So I used my microbiology degree to be able to sit for the exam. Got you. And she said English was easy. I mean, I guess compared to... To chemistry, have to chemistry, numbers and letters <laughs> compared to yeah. organic chemistry, right. it was it was easy. It's a blast. Like, yeah, okay, was, we can read some Shakespeare, no problem. Okay, easy. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I definitely know that was uh, extra. I do because I remember and when I was in law school, that was the first time I had heard about someone's you the know patent bar. Yeah, yeah. And the requirement. Because I was like, okay, maybe I. No, it's like no, no, no. Your major won't. Qualify. Not yours. Not yours. No, boo boo. That's cute. You can do the other ones. So yeah, it's really interesting. So for those out there that might be interested in just make sure you have the right major um, mm-hmm. undergrad. I think that's really interesting that that requirement has not changed over the years. Um, so We are the super nerds of the legal right, field. Right, right. We, we're a whole other level of nerd. <laughs> that's why they let y'all practice across the United States. <laughs> right. So, for those who don't know, you know, you hear various intellectual property terms that are all kind of under that umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. So, you'll hear a copyright or a trademark or patent, but Many of us don't know the difference between the three. And so can you kind of maybe, you know, make a fifth grader understand? Absolutely. What are the differences? So a patent is on an invention. It's actually on a product. So like how my iPhone works, like the physical nature of my iPhone, that is patentable. Um, It's also, you can have design patents, which are on something's functionality. So the little cardboard bands that go around your Starbucks coffee in the morning or wherever you Mm -hmm. buy coffee, those cardboard bands actually had a design patent on them. There's a number on those if you look for it it'll say a little d like the letter d for design Mm -hmm. and then it'll have a six digit number that is that thing's patent number um trademarks are things like nike tide Mm -hmm. um their logos like the nike swoosh Mm -hmm. they can also be slogans like lowe's has a great one let's build something together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then copyrights are on written material so they can be on things like architectural plans interior design plans books songs Mm -hmm. they can also be on artistic pieces like paintings that you've created okay so, like, the Coca-Cola formula is a patent. Correct. Okay. But Coca-Cola itself, is the name is a trademark. Correct. Yeah. See? Y'all are just a. applying that. Look, that. Just <laughs> applying the knowledge. Okay. So, is there a difference between, like, a trade name and a trademark? I've heard that. Not really. Okay. There, You know, we used to have all kinds of weird legal distinctions mm-hmm. between stuff like that. And then, like, trademarks and service marks, there used to be differentials. There's really not anymore. Okay. Okay. 
So now when you think of like the little TM you'll see by someone's name versus the mm-hmm. R, is the TM like a common law trademark or is that something different? No. Okay. So the TM, what it is really supposed to signify is that you have filed a federal trademark application before the federal government. Okay. So when I first filed Divas and Duckets, you guys were allowed to use a little TM mm-hmm. beside of your name mm-hmm. anytime you used it. But then once your brand actually registers, so once you get, once the trademark office completes their process of reviewing your brand and making sure that you're cool, Mm -hmm. then they um, graduate you, for lack of better terms. Mm -hmm. So that little TM becomes an R in a circle. Almost, I bet you 90% of the people listening to this podcast, if you have anything on your body that has like a logo, like a sports logo, Mm -hmm. or any kind of, any type of college team or anything like that, you are going to see either a TM or an R in a circle, because almost all colleges and universities and sports teams professionally have all that stuff branded. So it's easy to see things like this if you know what to look for Mm -hmm. them, because they're truly all around you. Mm -hmm. There's probably no one listening to this who doesn't have something with a TM or an R in a circle somewhere in their closet. Mm. That's interesting. I would have never thought it would have been in my clothes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I think you see it and just never really paid attention. Because I think before we got into, you know, professional realm, yeah. I would see an R all the time and be like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah. But I guess I was, like, thinking about a shirt. Like, if, you know, oh. the, you know, mm-hmm. college shirts, I just wouldn't, you just think about the name of the school, mm-hmm. but not, you know, the TM. So, it's, speaking of the TM, since that's an indication that you've done something federally, like, went and took active Mm -hmm. steps should people be using tms if they have not done that step i'm gonna tell you that the answer to that is no you really shouldn't be because Mm -hmm. if you're using a tm on something that you have not actually trademarked you're really misleading the public Mm -hmm. because you're because what it is for is to make the public think you have putting the public on notice that you filed a federal application however i can also tell you that as of right now and uh it would be september 3rd (laughs) 2001 it you know the law might change but but as of right now um, there is no penalty that happens to you if you're caught misusing the tm however don't do that with a patent because if you allege that you have patent pending or you allege that you have a federal patent status that you do not have, mm-hmm. you can be fined federally. And mm-hmm. it can be a steep fine. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to get yourself into some kind of trouble for misrepresenting what you have. But with a trademark, I mean, honestly, nothing's going to happen to you. But if you do that with a patent, you can really get yourself into a lot of trouble. And so for patents, is that what they usually put patent pending? That's They're correct. Just write it out. That okay. means you have a patent application that's, uh, it's literally what it says. Mm-hmm. It's pending before the government. Got you. So is there a difference between like common law trademark and a registered trademark? Yes. And that's very important and actually a huge difference. Okay. So common law trademark just means you're using a name. You started using it and, you know, you haven't done anything with the federal government or a local state government in order to protect it. A a registered trademark or a federal trademark, what that means is basically that you're paying the government to be the bouncer in the bar. That's how I like to explain it. Basically, you're giving the government a filing fee. You're telling the government, please approve my name. And if the government approves your name and says, no, we have proof this person is using this name Mm -hmm. in this class, and they've been using it since, you know, whatever date you've started using it from, 
basically from that point on, the government is going to stand behind you and protect that name. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if someone else comes up, just again, like somebody tries to get into the bar right. and says, hey, I'd like to file a trademark on Divas and Duckets. Right. The government is going to say, no, you're not, because that's already been taken. <laughs> they're going to reject that under Statute 2D for substantial similarity, and they're mm-hmm. going to tell you bye-bye. And then if I find out about it, I'm probably also going to send that person a cease and desist letter. So there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do occasionally, I, I'll, I also like to explain it as like an insurance policy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you spend a lot of money on your brand. Your brand is really, really important. It's mm-hmm. recognizable. And so you don't want to spend all that time and money on getting your brand put together and then have the government come in and or have someone else come in and destroy it because you didn't properly protect Mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. So a federal registration is the best way to move forward saying, I'm putting the flag in the sand. This is mine. Nobody else needs to infringe upon it. Got you. So basically common law, it's not not enforceable. So someone could just come take it. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, well. Yeah, and they could beat you to the trademark office. Mm-hmm. They could file a federal application before yep. you. And, you know, as a general rule, sometimes people are like, yeah, I don't really think it's that important. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's simply because you're not informed. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're informed about this and if this brand is really important to you, mm-hmm. especially if it's something you're going to spend a lot of money protecting, yeah, you need to you need to get some protection on it. Yeah. And that is the explanation of why, you know, a lot of people think, oh, I'll just file my name with the Secretary of State. Mm -hmm. Because if you do business in a particular state, you just file it, whether it's an LLC Mm -hmm. or partnership, Partnership, et cetera. And they think, oh, well, I'm good because in that state, they won't have anyone else under that name. But it's not actual, you know, there's no enforcement of your ideas or someone just literally stealing your things right sure so because i'm also a federally registered trademark attorney when someone calls my office and they say hey can you form a north carolina entity or a georgia entity for me which i can do because those are the states where i have a law license Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i always search the federal registry as well Mm -hmm. just to make sure they're fine because i've certainly had clients who i'll have a client who has a registration and they'll get some kind of alert on google that somebody in florida just formed a corporate entity with the same name Mm -hmm. as them Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very quickly sending that corporate entity in Florida a little nasty note that says, hey, you can't be using this name. Mm -hmm. And and I I have a whole paragraph that I put in there that specifically states, I understand that your state allowed you to form this LLC. And that makes this very confusing. And I recognize that you probably are not educated about federal trademark law. But if you proceed with this name, that is trademark infringement. Mm -hmm. And does it matter, like, if it's a similar business? Like, it does. Okay. It matters a lot. So, the trademark office has 45 different classifications that you can use to protect your name. Okay. So, the best way for me to explain this, you might be able to go and open up a shoe store and call it McDonald's, Mm -hmm. but no way on God's green earth are you going to be able to open up a restaurant. And if you try, McDonald's attorney is going to send you some hate mail eventually once Mm -hmm. they find out that that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So, it is very, very important. Gotcha. And so, how I mean, how does one protect themselves without? Because obviously, each category is a cost. There's a fee per there, category. There is. That's a very good point. Like, how do you how do you protect yourself? Like, say from the. I mean, it's not confusing to the consumer, but 
just the name alone, McDonald's. But, you know, they know it's a shoe store. So, of course, they're not going to confuse it with the restaurant. But, I mean, I would think that they, McDonald's would want their name. For, like, don't use it at all. So, so that's a really good point. So, what the government has said is not you can't just globally, no matter how much money you have, okay. you cannot globally purchase a trademark in all 45 classes. Okay. Okay. You have to actually eventually show use. Mm-hmm. So eventually, McDon- if McDonald's didn't want people to form shoe stores and call them McDonald's, they best have a trademark in the sale of shoes. Okay. And they don't. So because that's not what their business is. Right, right. Like I've had shady people call me before and say, "Hey, <laughs> I had this really bright idea and I want to buy this domain name and I want to buy this trademark because someday they're going to be valuable." And I'm like, "Well, are you selling products? Are you offering services?" "Well, no. I just want someone else who wants to sell products and services to buy this name from me." <laughs> "Well, you can't do that. That's not how this works because mm-hmm. eventually you have to show that you were using that that brand name for the intended goods and services associated with it. Mm. Yeah, true. Right. And so to that point, because I know people sell domains, so they sell their trademarks too? People can absolutely sell a trademark. Mm-hmm. I have licensed a trademark for five-digit figures in the past. Wow. Um, I've had people buy my clients' trademarks. Um, so, yeah, they can be really, really valuable. They can also make your business appraise higher. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you know, if you've had a trademark that... <laughs> You know, you've had it federally registered for many years and you go to get your business appraised because you're ready to retire. Mm-hmm. It actually can make your business appraised at a higher rate because then they assume that your business has been well protected. It has brand following. Mm-hmm. So it really does help your business be more valuable. And so then speaking, like you were saying about the person, you know, that was in Florida, you know, you had a trademark and then the person in Florida, they were able to file with the Secretary of State, but now they're getting this cease and desist letter. So why isn't... One, why isn't filing with Secretary of State enough? And then a person that is filing a business with the Secretary of State, how can they search for to make sure that, you know, there isn't a trademark under that name? So it's not enough to simply file with the Secretary of State because they are not searching federally. Mm-hmm. They are here for one reason and one reason only, <laughs> to get money <laughs> for the government. That's mm-hmm. what they're here to do. They're here to collect your money. Mm-hmm. They're also here to make sure that there is not another business with that identical name in that state. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, what you're doing is not their problem. Gotcha. Okay, Mm -hmm. so some of my clients flag like Google searches Mm -hmm. so that Google will tell them if somebody, you know, buys a web domain that's similar to theirs or start something. Um, You can also have intellectual property attorneys like I have software where you can pay me additional funds and I can be like a watchdog for you. Mm -hmm. So I can search all through everything and anytime anything on your brand comes up, I will get a monthly report Mm -hmm. that will tell me if there's anything that needs to be taken care of. But it's pretty expensive Mm -hmm. to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I always like to talk about expense too because a lot of people just go nuts. They're (laughs) like, I want to trademark this name and, you know, I'm selling... 75 things and I want to trademark it and all this stuff and I'm like just to be straight up with you are you Martha Stewart how much money do you have right Right? because Martha Stewart has her name trademarked in like 45 classes but she's doing 
business and all of right, those things. Right, right, I mean, right. she is doing that. She, I mean, she is incredibly successful and she has a tremendous amount of money and she doesn't want people copycatting mm-hmm, her. Right. So, you know, if you've got the money to do it, I would love for you to contribute <laughs> to my children's college fund. I, I assure you, I'm here for you. But the average small business owner can't afford to do that. Right, right. So what I typically tell them is, what is making you the most money right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're selling 57 spa items, but candles are where you're making the most money, mm-hmm. why don't we trademark candles? Mm-hmm. And then when you're making more money down the road, we can file a new application and add some classes to it. Right. You know, but you, I think people always need to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And you should try to start with whatever is the actual focus of your business. Okay. Like, a lot of times, too, people will come to me and they're like, well, we're, we're going to sell merch. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, well, how much money do you think you're going to make off this merch? And they're like, I don't know. And I'm like, mm. Again, are you Green Day? Are you REM? Are you some brand that people want to listen to and hear about and know? Okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't make sense to trademark your merch if all your merch is really doing is attracting people to what your business really Mm -hmm. is. Right? right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be really mindful of that. But I'll straight up tell people this idea is not going to work because of whatever reason, and I'll redirect them to what I feel like they need to do. Got you. So talk a little bit about the process. Like, how do you go to file for that protection? Maybe, like, how long does it take? Yeah. So um, the first thing is that you have to file with the federal government via the United States Patent and Trademark Office's website. So Mm -hmm. their website is U.S., like United States, P-T-O, like Patent Trademark Office, Dot gov, mm-hmm. And that's where you go. I will tell you, though, that website changes all the time mm-hmm. um, on, like, the whims of what the government feels like. Mm-hmm. I'm on that website literally multiple times a day, almost all day long. I mean, I pull over on the side of the road sometimes and look at that website for various things that I need for clients. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're not experienced with the website, it can be very difficult mm-hmm. to figure out where you are and what you need to do. Mm-hmm. But basically, I file trademarks. I try. This is my personal policy. If a client calls me up and says, hey, I, fi- I want to file a trademark and this is what I want to do, I try to do that for them like that day. Mm -hmm. Like I try to do it within a 24 hour time period because once I have filed the application, again, that would be like your little TM status. Mm -hmm. That does give you some federal protection Mm -hmm. because that's kind of like you put the flag in the sand and you said, this is what I'm doing. I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. So I don't want people to have to wait on that. Right. But then Absolutely no one in the government is going to look at your application for four to six months. Okay. Because what happens over that time period is it's just kind of sitting in the government's bin. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely no way for me to expedite a trademark. Again, it does not matter who you are or how much money you have. I cannot give the government enough money to make them expedite this. They will not do it. Mm -hmm. So they have one trademark office. It's in Alexandria, Virginia, and it Mm -hmm. services the entire country. So, yeah, there's a four to six month wait. Once it is assigned to a trademark examiner, usually one of three things will happen. 
a best case scenario, and I have done this before when I've really been on point with, with my job here, is the trademark office says this application's perfect and they just move you right to publication and registration. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to do anything else. You just slide right on through. It's great. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Other times the trademark examiner will call me. If you're represented by counsel, they're going to call your lawyer and not you. I mean, of course, I'm an attorney and I'm biased, but that's probably what you want. We appreciated that. Because <laughs> I know what they're talking about, right? right? Mm -hmm. And if they ask me something, I know how to answer that. You know, this is old hat to me. I've mm -hmm. been doing this for 15 years. I've mm -hmm. filed 500 trademarks in private practice successfully. So I know what they're saying. Right. So sometimes I can resolve any outstanding issues that the examiners have in a quick phone call or two mm -hmm. and move you on along to publication and registration. Mm -hmm. Other times, we might have an office action. Okay. So an office action can consist of all kinds of stuff. People who are unrepresented by counsel, sometimes they do fine until they get an office action. Mm -hmm. But the office action is really where they're like a deer in the headlights. Like they're like, I don't understand what this is. I don't know what it means. I don't know what to do with it. And so a lot of people wind up hiring me at that point mm -hmm. because now they have this thing, but they don't know what to do with it and they don't know they don't know how to move forward from mm -hmm. here. Right. Um, office actions, again, I see them all the time. I respond to them all the time. There are some that are pretty challenging, but I try to minimize them from being challenging by searching your brand on in the first place. Mm -hmm. So if I search your brand federally in the first place and I'm like, eh, I don't know if this thing is going to register or not. I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you there's some other things out there that scare me. So I'm not 100% sure we can get this thing to happen. But I'll tell you, like, my good faith effort in whether I think I can do it or not. Mm -hmm. I've told people in the past, and I will also tell you if I think that you are going to get sued if you do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I've had clients before who I've said, I would love to take your money. However... Yeah. Um, if you file this trademark application, you are going to get a cease and desist letter from the person who actually owns this name and who trademarked it however many years ago it mm. was. So I try to just be really, really real. And that's mm -hmm. important, too, if you are seeking a professional to work with on something like this. You want to have somebody who will tell you that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If it's, what is the term? I don't know. I might be mixing it up with something. Is it like? significantly similar or like overly broad very very close okay. it, it the the key term is substantially similar as to be unduly confusing to the average consumer what that means in english <laughs> is if i am walking down the hallway in target mm -hmm. and i see your product in beauty and cosmetics mm -hmm. and then i walk down the cleaning aisle and i see a cleaning product that has a the same name, mm -hmm. am I going to think they are both owned by the same company? Right. Gotcha. If I think it is the same company, that is substantially similar as to be unduly confusing because I, as the average consumer, mm -hmm. maybe I'll really like the product in the cosmetic aisle, mm -hmm. so I'm going to be more likely to buy the mm -hmm. same product if mm -hmm. I see that same brand yeah, in the cleaning brand aisle. Support, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's brand support. It made me think when you t when you were saying that, it made me instantly think about Martha Stewart. Like you'll see yeah, that stuff. Yeah, like, it's Martha Stewart. Right. I'm going to buy the yeah. towels right. and the bowls. Exactly. Right. <laughs> that is yeah. how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when they're in that process, um, because I know even with ours, like there was some pause and you had to, you know, work your magic. Um, 
But one before you're right, right. I work it though. Right, we didn't have to deal with anything. So, um, one I will say before we even started, like talk about the people that you know are just starting their business and don't really have any product to show. Yeah, but wanting to jump ahead and get a trademark. How got it? How does that work? So there's two ways that I can file a trademark in in our country. The first one is called Statute 1A, which means use. Mm-hmm. That means I am actively using this brand right now. Here is, you know, here's my website. Here's a picture of my brand name on the front of my candle. This is in use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is Statute 1A. The other way to do it is Statute 1B. Statute 1B says, I am not using it yet. However, I intend to, and I also am planning to spend some money on marketing it. Mm -hmm. So I really want to go ahead and put my flag in the sand that says I'm going to use this. Mm -hmm. The only thing I don't like about Statute 1B, it's perfectly fine to file something under Statute Mm -hmm. 1B. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I don't like about it is that after it registers, so once it, well, before it registers, after it publishes, so after the government evaluates it and, you know, whatever magic I have to work is done and it publishes, then the government issues something called a notice of allowance. And when they issue that, then you have to produce a statement of use. So then you need to produce your, you know, evidence Mm -hmm. of use. Mm -hmm. The only thing I don't like about doing it that way is you have to give the government more money. Mm -hmm. The government either requires a $100 fee when you show you or you can purchase extensions of time that are $150 and you can purchase five of them. So essentially you can extend it for up to three years Mm -hmm. as long as you're filing extensions of time. I'll, I'll, interestingly enough though, you know, y'all can probably tell from my country accent, (laughs) I was raised in the middle of Datburn nowhere and um, I'm a first generation college student. Neither one of my parents went to college. My mom actually has a GED and my dad worked in a cotton mill. Mm -hmm. So I was raised on people who I mean like my dad made $13 an hour Mm -hmm. when I was and that was in the 90s so of course you know relevant to today's yeah it stretched stretched further but I mean I'm not a person who grew up with a lot of money or with a wealth mindset so Mm -hmm. I I get real freaked out I'm like God don't give the government an extra $100 if you don't (laughs) have to and and like some of my clients Mm -hmm. are with me on that they're like yeah don't do that and I have other clients who look at me like I'm insane they're like I mean they like that yeah they're like I wouldn't pick that up if I dropped it on the floor, right? And I'm like, okay, like, I'm just here to tell you what your rights are. Mm -hmm. So the only downside to doing a Statute 1B for intent to use is that it's a little bit more expensive, and how you define expensive, I guess, is all Mm -hmm. relative. Yeah, yeah. And once the, I guess, government comes back, and do they deny or approve? Yeah. Can you appeal? You can appeal, but... Goodness, I don't want to do that because (laughs) appeals are super, super expensive. Mm -hmm. And if I really think your examiner is wrong, Mm -hmm. the trick that I have to get around that is I just refile your application from scratch and get it assigned Mm. to somebody different. That's how I fix that problem because it's cheaper. It's genuinely cheaper for me to just start the whole darn thing over from scratch Mm -hmm. and get it to register that way than it is for me to try to fight your way through an appeal. That's expensive. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Nobody benefits from that but the government. Mm-hmm. And so I really try not to appeal things. But it it is an option. It's just not a very good one in my opinion. Mm. 
So when we're talking about costs, like what, and I'm not sure if they're different for copyright because I know we're, we've been talking a lot yeah. about trademarks, yeah. but like what are the costs associated with filing? So there's there's two costs associated with filing and it's all based on how many classes you're using. Okay. So if you are just filing in one class, the government has what they call the like least expensive way where mm-hmm. you can only pay like two fifty for the for the filing. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you my experience with that mm-hmm. is that all that does is highlight the government to find things wrong with your application so that they can then bill you the extra hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And it just makes everything more I feel like it. I feel like trying to do it the cheap way Mm -hmm. causes your application to be scrutinized Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't appreciate. Mm -hmm. So I just make all of my clients, we're paying $350. That's what we're doing. (laughs) Like, you might find another attorney who's perfectly fine doing it the cheap way. I'm not because it's going to make your life and my life more difficult. That is a time when I have less problem giving the government an extra $100. Sometimes I really don't want to do that. That's a time where I'm like, it's worth it to make them leave you alone. (laughs) So it's $350 per class. So that goes back to what we were saying about Martha Stewart. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're in a whole bunch of classes, this thing can get pretty expensive pretty quickly. right? Right. As a general rule, what I do is I flat rate all of my fees. So I usually just charge a flat rate attorney fee. I don't care how many classes you're in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pretty much the work. The workload for me is not terribly different. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the range for how much these things cost, because I don't want to just speak for just what I do, right, because right. I mean, you might, you can use an attorney anywhere. Mm-hmm. These things can range from anywhere from $1,200 up to like two to $3,000. Mm-hmm. It really just depends on on who, like what professional you're working with and how they choose to do things. Mm -hmm. Like some attorneys want to bill time per hour to do this. Mm -hmm. Other attorneys just want to do a flat rate package deal. As a general rule, I tend to gear my business towards small business owners. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I tend to do a flat rate package deal, Mm -hmm. but there's some people who don't like it that way. So, I mean, it's just kind of how, what the, what is in the discretion of the professional that you want to work with. Got you. But it's not cheap. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not <laughs> but cheap. it's worth it. It's worth it. Now, for those who are in more of like a creative space, I guess, um, like the copyrights, mm-hmm. is, are the costs similar there? Exponentially of- cheaper. Okay. Much, much, much cheaper. Okay. Copyrights are only $55 to file, 55 mm-hmm. to $65 to file. It just depends on like what you're actually filing it on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the attorney fees are way cheaper because it's way less work. Gotcha. Um, usually you can probably get a copyright for less than $1,000. Mm-hmm. I have had the occasional client who is a photographer or an artist mm-hmm. who's really generating a lot of potentially copyrightable product mm-hmm. and I don't want them to have to pay me an egregious amount of money because they're copywriting like hundreds of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so I have actually had those types of people. I will teach them their a class on I make them hire me mm-hmm. and pay me like a one-time upfront hourly fee. Mm-hmm. I teach them how to go on the Library of Congress's website. So it's a different website. It's mm-hmm. not the USPTO.gov. It's actually the Library of Congress's website. I have them go on there to the Copyright Office. I have them set up their own account 
And then I walk them through how to create their own template online. Mm -hmm. So then all they have to do when they create stuff is go into the template I helped them make Mm -hmm. and then reload the same, whatever it is that they're filing. They don't Mm -hmm. have, it's so easy to do it that way. And it's easy on my end too, but it's too expensive for them to use an attorney to do that every single Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And it's something they can completely do on their own. They just have to have somebody teach them how to do it. Right. So that for that person that's constantly writing songs or poems or what right. have you, they can kind of just keep going in there. And, Absolutely. They can okay. just go in there and I, I build it all out for them so they know what everything is. And then they basically just have to come like click on their template and then complete the last steps repetitiously. And so, I mean, to that effect, like, so, I, I mean, I know people don't really put out album albums anymore, but <laughs> so the song, the, the, the song list is in an album. Each song has to have a copyright? That's the best way to do it. Okay. Yeah. It's to, and I mean, you can file compilations where it's like, you know, all of an album can be on mm-hmm. there. But certainly if your plan is to release like a single, then I think it's always in your best interest to copyright the lyrics to the single. And so how does it work? Because right now I'm thinking of like wedding photographers. Do they have to copyright like each? Like how does that work for no. them? No. So that's a really good question. So if you are a photographer, usually what you do, you don't need to federally copyright that because, I mean, like my wedding pictures, I don't think are important to anyone but me and my family, right? Like mm-hmm. nobody else really cares what my wedding that's pictures are. Right. They're not that's valuable. Fair. Now, if I was Angelina Jolie, mm-hmm. maybe people would care, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. nobody cares about my wedding photos. Mm-hmm. Like absolutely no one does. So they don't have to do that. That's just a simple contract that a photographer can have that mm-hmm. basically says, you pay me X amount of money and then these pictures are yours and you can do whatever you want to mm-hmm. with them. Mm-hmm. That gets into a more complicated space though if the photographer is really famous or a really mm-hmm. big deal or if mm-hmm. the person they're taking a picture of is a really big deal. Um, it can also be a big trademark issue, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if a photographer's take, if a famous photographer's taking pictures under their name and then some 22-year-old shows up and tries to redirect the, like, mm-hmm. you think you're hiring famous person and you're hiring some kid who just graduated from mm-hmm. photography school, mm-hmm. um, there's certainly a reason there to trademark your own name, too. Mm, gotcha. You. Yeah, because I, I guess I just think about it, like in the social media space, you know, some of the, these photographers have, you know, almost a million yeah, followers amazing. and then people will share their picture as if mm-hmm. it's their own page, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I just wonder how they like they protect that if it's not. So that also deviates from trademarks a little bit, okay. but that's also something I really like to tell business owners is that you really do need to think about what you're putting on your website. Mm -hmm. I'm not so much worried about your social media Mm -hmm. because the government really hasn't caught up to policing social media. Mm -hmm. But on your website Mm -hmm. or on your blog, Mm -hmm. please don't post a picture unless, number one, you took it yourself. Number two, you paid a photographer to take it and you own the rights to the picture. Like like I just described mm-hmm. with wedding mm-hmm. photographers, mm-hmm. they right. signed it over to you. Or number three, you purchased the image on a website like Getty Images or PicScout or mm-hmm. somebody and you actually have a license mm-hmm. for that picture. Mm-hmm. People get mm-hmm. harassed, like absolutely harassed by copyright trolls. Mm. That's going to sound weird. A troll, I'm literally saying like a troll under the bridge, like you would read about (laughs) in Grimm's fairy tales. And that's not a term that I made up. That is an actual legal term of art. If you Google the terms copyright trolls, Mm -hmm. 
this will come up on Wikipedia, and it's actually a really solid Wikipedia explanation of what a copyright troll is. Basically, they're a debt collector, and they comb the internet to find small business owner websites that have pictures that were taken by some other photographer that mm-hmm. have a cop- a federal copyright attached to them, mm-hmm. and then they send you a bill. I've had clients who have gotten invoices from these people that were like thirty to forty to fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and so that is like a crap your pants type of a day like you do not want that to happen to you Mm -hmm. so please be very careful about what you put on the internet make sure that it is Mm -hmm. something that you own the rights to it will get you into trouble right big trouble and so they're also keeping on the social media i know we were talking more so about like common law trademarks if a person like that's all they have is their common law trademarks can they not use um, like the use, like I've been doing this for, you know, five, six years and I've published it and everybody knows me as this. Is there presence yeah, it's, it's enough or does it just protection. show like use? It's really not, it's really not enough. Yeah. I mean, it just proves use. Um, mm-hmm. Let me really explain why this is helpful with social media, why the federal registration is helpful. So with social media, Social media does not do a very good job of making sure that people don't have the same name. Right. They don't. No. They don't. Like if, score one. Yeah. <laughs> change a <of> character, whatever. <laughs> right. Social media does not do a good right. job of policing that. Mm-hmm. They're kind of like the Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, that's not, that's not their problem. Mm-hmm. That's right. not what they're right. here to do. Mm-hmm. So then what happens is if you have competing businesses that have substantially similar as to be unduly confusing names up there, then you get into problems when the consumers get confused. Mm -hmm. So, for example, early in my career, there used to be a store um, in Gaston County. It was just a storefront, and everything with the storefront was fine. They had a common law name. They'd been using this name for a really long time. They were good. Mm -hmm. Everything was fine until they started selling monogrammed baby um, blankets on uh, Facebook. Okay. And so then what happened was there was a store with not the same, but almost the same name. And in Wilmington, Delaware, a woman showed up furious because they did not have her baby shower baby blanket ready. And that shower was in an hour. And it wasn't done. And they were like, we've never heard of you. She whips Mm. her cell phone out and says, look at this order right here. And they look at the Facebook page, and oh no, that's not the Wilmington, Delaware location. That's somewhere in Gaston County, North Carolina, and we've never heard of these people. We have no affiliation with them. We don't know that they exist. Mm-hmm. Ma'am, this is your fault because, you know, you should have checked what state you were in. Mm-hmm. But they sent those people in Gaston County a cease and desist letter. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that they did is they had a, the Delaware company had mm-hmm. a federal registration, and now they can prove brand confusion because mm-hmm. that is absolute Mm -hmm. evidence of brand confusion Mm -hmm. so what they did they sent facebook their federal trademark registration and they shut the page down Mm -hmm. to be honest with you and i feel so mean when i say this i feel like the grinch who stole christmas but i shut down social media accounts all the time i really do because i'll have a client who has a brand Mm -hmm. 
and then somebody else does exactly what I just described. Mm-hmm. They they they've got the they think it's a brilliant idea and mm-hmm. it's never happened before. Mm-hmm. And they try to do it themselves and they get an Instagram page and all of a sudden my client's like, "Whoa, uh-uh, that's my name." Right. And so I will upload those names to the trademark office or excuse me, I'll upload those names to Facebook or mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook and Instagram will shut your social media down in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But I want you to really think about that. Okay, so that's not a big deal if you've been up for five minutes and you have, you know, maybe 50 followers. Mm-hmm, and right. But if you are an influencer, right. I mean, if you've got 300,000 followers in that yeah. space yeah. and every, and all of a sudden it gets taken down because you don't have a trademark and right. somebody else does, that is a sad day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you really do want to be mindful of stuff like that because you can get too big and be unprotected and get mm-hmm. yourself into problems. That's true. And in, the, in that situation, because I know you mentioned earlier that you have, like, software that you can use to constantly be searching for mm-hmm. um, if someone else is using your name. But how would a person that is not represented by an attorney have that kind of protection? I have no idea other than Google. Okay. Because it's expensive software. I mean, yeah. it's even expensive for us, mm-hmm. which is why if a client wants me to watchdog it, it's expensive because I have a lot of expense right. to me mm-hmm. to even own that type of software in the first place. Yeah. So it is very expensive. Um, but, you know, Google Google is your friend. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can find out a lot by Google and setting alerts and stuff like that. Is there a search on the U.S.? Is it PTO office? Is yep. it the same way that it is Secretary of State where you can search a business name? Can you yes. do that on there? Okay. Yes. It's called the TESS, the T-E-S-S. Okay. And so you can go on there and you can search for things. Mm-hmm. But so a couple things about that because people get themselves in trouble though when they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So the government doesn't care about things like spaces. Mm-hmm. They don't care about hyphens. Mm-hmm. They don't care about whether it says and or whether it's an ampersand. Mm-hmm. They don't care if it's the number two versus TWO. They don't care about stuff like that at all. What they care about is, is this name substantially similar as to be unduly confusing? And is there another name that is the exact same thing? Mm. And if the answer to that is uh, yes, then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. Well, Protect the name, y'all. Yes. <laughs> so we can tell you. It's protect your it business. It really is. I think, you know, Quick and I, we say all the time mm-hmm. when we talk to, you know, whether it's small business or other entities in terms of development, like we always say that our story, we want it to be protected before we even record it. Like right. we were just, I don't know, I guess it's the attorney in us. We were just like, no, we're going to have everything together because we don't want someone to come and take it and I am very candid about the fact that Quick vetoed several names before (laughs) I was able to come up with Divas and Duckets and I was like oh we're not going to do this again like we need to be good right and I think you know like we said we I we spoke to Paula like this is what we're trying to do these are kind of the areas that we're in Mm -hmm. like what do you think and you know even that like we were it's funny now but we were like afraid to record a show like well we put a show out there is somebody gonna steal it Uh so just really look into you know she said that you know for you statute 1a 1b either way just look into getting protected as soon as you can Mm -hmm. and it is a cost it is a fee we've been over it but it's worth it it's one of those things that i would say maybe in addition to like 
uh, you know, getting your taxes done mm-hmm. by a professional, that cost as a small business is worth it. Yeah. So. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think it's a, um, it's just needed, especially mm-hmm. like you said, if you actually have a following, if you have clientele, um, if you're starting up your business and you know you're going to be in more than just your city. Yeah. You know, we on the airwaves. <laughs> so mm-hmm. just it's it's so important. Like it it just mm-hmm. you you might think that that cost is so much, but like she's like, you know, Miss Paula said, it doesn't compare into the cost of how much you've put into your business and then having to have it shut down. Right. And start over and then trying to bring your clientele over to some I mean, we don't know you is it. Or having like, to change your name. Yeah, right. Having right. to change your name. Who are they? So mm-hmm. as Tina Turner said, just I just want my name. <laughs> it's so, it, right. Just keep my name. It's something in the name. So that's what the divas have to say to you, Miss Yost. We're telling you to protect your name. Reach out to a trademark attorney. Where can they find you at? Um, so the easiest way to find me is on my website, which is www.country, like I work in the country, because I do, <laughs> law, L-A-W, like I am a lawyer, and then Shack S-H-A-C-K, Dot com like Love Shack or Crab Shack. Also, on that name, people ask me about this all the time. People either love my name or they hate my name. And I'm like, here's the deal. Nobody is going to remember the law office of Paula J. Yost right. because that is a dime a dozen. That is just somebody's name. Nobody's going to remember that. Mm-hmm. But the Country Law Shack, Can't forget it. people forget will that. remember that name and they will love it or they will hate it. <laughs> but if you love it, then you probably belong with me. That's right. So, <laughs> Wait, is it actually a shack? No, it, you, it well, so that is a good question. It used to be. So I inherited my great-grandma's house in 2012, and when I got it, it was a shack because mm. it, it looked like an episode of Hoarders when I got oh. it. But it is not a shack now. I've okay. made it nice now, but okay. it was when I got it. Gotcha. Well, we have really, really enjoyed all of the wealth of information that you've passed along, and mm. we are always eternally grateful every time we look at our logo we yes. think about you and our r so right. if you try uh, 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 go get that Don't matumbo letter <laughs> so we just appreciate you on here and helping our um divas and duckets family and lee do you have anything else I don't. Um, you know, we've told you about the Wealth Summit. Yeah. I think real quick, definitely look into starting your little savings mm-hmm. for your trademark or copyright for those who are doing things. And yeah. yeah, for sure. And if you are watching us on YouTube, why have you not subscribed? If you have not subscribed, hit the button below. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and Facebook. We thank you for always tuning in. And in the meantime, in between time, Have a great attitude. All right, bye.